0: other and all that God has done and what he's teaching and, and showing us, and that is a, that is a huge part uh, of belonging to the church. So for those of you who are visiting or perhaps you're new uh, or perhaps you just haven't been here for a long time, we're finishing this series today on why church. Um, but I want to give you a lot of context for it because as we conclude in a few minutes here, I say a few, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a while. When we conclude this, uh, I, I want it to to really, really be a challenge of what does God's word teach to us in all of these areas that we've discussed over the last number uh, of weeks. Uh so let me let me just explain where it all started from. We're gonna use the dreaded word COVID. <laughs> COVID hits, and just like. You all, I'm sure, in your personal lives, in your work lives, uh, the same was true of our churches. We had to figure out how are we going to do things differently. We had to adapt to the environment that we found ourselves in. And so we started, you know, we'll figure out how do we, how do, we do video updates, and how do we send people uh, current and relevant information, and then how do we live stream, and then Zoom came along, and, and how do we have, uh, connect people in Bible studies through that, and all of those types of things. And from a leadership standpoint, as we were discussing these things, it was always with this understanding that this is, this is a temporary measure, that we were going to adapt and figure out how to navigate through an uncertain time that, that naively some of us thought this is just going to be weeks or, or maybe a few months. And it turned into quite a long period of time. And in the midst of all of that, what I found and what I noticed is that we as people, we adapt really quickly, actually, to new things. And we adapted to this kind of new way that we were doing church. And because it lasted the better part of two and a half years, uh, that was just kind of the new normal. And we were quite okay with that. But as we started uh, having conversations with other church leaders, with other pastors, we started to be convicted by the understanding of all of these things were temporary and were never meant to replace what we're having this morning right now, is looking across and seeing people, worshiping together, ministering together, and caring for one another. And while the technology we were very grateful for and thankful for, it it has a shelf life, it has a purpose, and that purpose is not meant to replace, but is only meant to aid and to help in various areas. And so we are still going to use technology, and as Ernie mentioned, we have uh, a board retreat coming up in a couple of weeks where we're going to ask a lot of these questions. How do we continue to use technology effectively, but how do we not lose sight of what church is really and truly meant to be? And so that's where this series kind of came out of, this idea of ecclesiology, which really just means our theology about the church. What is the church? Why does it exist? What's the purpose? Why are we part of a church? Why should we be? And and, and Jim has shared some of his journey, and and many others throughout the weeks have shared a little bit of their journey and, and what God has done in and through them. And so through this process, uh, through these last couple of months, asking some of these questions about why church, I've become more convinced than ever, not only that church is important, but that it is vital for the spiritual growth of each indi- individual believer. It's not something that we should look at as optional or something that's like, oh, this, when it works, this is good, is no, this needs to be a priority, And so we talked a lot about, we started with this idea of why together? Why is it important that we gather together, worship together, serve together, do evangelism and outreach together? We started talking about practical things about like just unique things we do. Why do we do baptism? Why do we do communion? Why do we do church membership? Why do we give of our tithes and our offerings? And all of these questions were asked under one simple rule. Where do we find the answers to these? And so we've been opening up scripture to see what has God called the church to be? How has he called us to be a part of it? And really try to enter into a biblical ecclesiology rather than a COVID two plus years of changing and shifting how we look at church. And so that's been the purpose of this. And and that's why we've decided to really enter into this conversation of church is vitally important for your spiritual growth. Can you grow uh, online ministries? Absolutely. And we're not trying to say that all of those are inherently bad or wrong. But there's something different about gathering together. There's something different, even about a small group of maybe four or five people studying scripture together. I know I've had people come and talk to me about, uh, I needed that person to pray with me and to simply give me a hug. I needed that. We don't get that online in the same way. If I could use an analogy, let's think of it this way. How many of you, we're going to test memories here, and it's going to be real clear how old some of us are, and that's okay. Um, How many have ever been in a long-distance relationship? How many of you have moved away from family, and you've been kind of the only one away from family? Okay, that's, that's more likely in Banff, right? Okay, so think of it in this way, is for some of you, There was this new, well, maybe it wasn't new, but a technology that existed called letter writing. Anybody remember that? Right? And that's the way in which we communicated with each other. We, you know, I remember getting letters from my grandparents every birthday or Christmas, and we didn't get to see them very often, but that was one way that we connected. And that was, right, that had meaning, and it has value. Well, then for some who are younger, then there was this advent of the phone call. Right? And you could actually hear them. It wasn't just send off a letter and wait for a response. You could actually have dialogue together. And I remember being at Bible college, and you could see real quick which people were not comfortable being away from home and which people were too comfortable being away from home. And there would be people, some just sitting just for hours at a time talking to family and friends and maybe relationships that they had back home. Well, then in our modern times, now we have something even, even better. We have the video conference, right? Whether, I mean, Skype, right? The original, uh, or like FaceTime, and then now in our time, Zoom. And that's been great too, but if you think of it in this way as your family, your loved ones, that, that uh, romantic relationship that you had, never would we say, you know what, I got to see them and talk to them on FaceTime, so I guess I don't need to go and talk to them in person ever. Like, we just wouldn't do that. We recognize the value. If, if you're a grandparent, you're very thankful for FaceTime or that kind of thing. Because you get to see your grandkids and, and talk with them, but you never hang up that phone going, I guess I don't need to go visit them now. There's still a longing to be together because we're created to be in relationship. And this is God's purpose for the church. It's great to have Zoom options. It's great to have uh, additional teaching we use right now media all across our Bible studies, we think there's wonderful examples of technology, but not at the cost of gathering together. And I've, I've been harping on this for a long time, and, and I promise I'll finish today, but I just think it's so vital, not because it's logical, but because God's told us to. And so I'd encourage you to, to go back through on our website, look at some of those why questions. If you weren't able to be here, look at Questions about why together, why, why go and share the gospel with people, why communion, why baptism, why membership? We're going to talk about membership again this morning a little bit, but I encourage you to go back and look at those things because it's always with the same answer, because God said so, because this is how God's ordained it. This is God's plan and his purpose that we might have connection, community, and that we might declare the gospel and make Jesus known. That's the goal. And so today we're ending in a very strange way, and this is 100% my fault, is when I mapped out all these why questions, I always had this one kind of in the background, but I thought I'll answer this in various other parts of the series, and I realized during the why membership time that I needed to deal with this. And so it seems like a strange ending to it, Uh, and and again, that's my fault, but I hope that this is helpful, is we're going to talk about why church leadership. Why do we have our church structure the way that we do? The the technical term is governance. That already makes your skin crawl probably a little bit. Why do we we have the leadership structures in place that we do? Well, again, the spoiler alert, because the Bible says so. And we're going to spend some time talking about that, showing that, and then I want to challenge you at the end with with a few uh, implications of that. So in Acts chapter 14, the book of Acts is is predominantly... um, I shouldn't say predominantly, the last half is very much about Paul's missionary journeys. He's traveling all over the known world at that time, and he's sharing the gospel with people. Some are coming to faith in Christ, and so then they gather together and they build these little local churches, these local assemblies, uh, and this is what we read in this type of an example. So starting in verse 19, it says this, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. This is context here for us. They supposed that he was dead but when the disciples gathered about him he rose up and entered the city that seems very bold to me and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to derby and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples sorry the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then here's the key verse. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Is right at the very beginning, these churches get planted. And with anything that's planting, what do you need to do? You got to nurture it, right? This is why every plant that I plant dies and why everything Shayla plants lives. Is There's a lot more care there for her than for me. So in anything, if we begin something, there's a process of nurture. And for, for us in that, there's an immaturity of, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here, right? Is how many of you have killed your plants because you watered them too much? Don't have to answer that, that's okay. Um, there's, there's this sense of, I gotta learn, how do I, how do I do this? And the same is true of the church. And so as the churches began to grow, we start to see this pattern of eldership come and they would come and they would find people that that were spiritually uh, as mature as they could be, that they understood scripture, that they understood the gospel, and then they would put these people uh, kind of in a leadership role over this so that they could nurture and foster this growth that was happening within churches. And this is not unique to to this church. Uh, you see this in, in all kinds of places. So we're gonna look at Titus chapter one. Here's another example. So if you wanna flip there real quick. And I'll read this as well to us. Titus uh, chapter 1 says this. This is starting in verse 5. Oh, let me just give you real quick. Titus is a young pastor um, who, who um, Paul has kind of equipped to go and do some work of, of bringing into order, basically, what wasn't in order. So he says this. This is why I left you in Crete. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Something that Paul was very well aware of is that as this new movement of Christianity began, that others would come in and they would try to teach their own things for selfish gain. And, And we see that in various letters. And so he equips, uh, or sorry, he appoints these elders to spot those things. It says right at the end, so that they can rebuke those who contradict it. Paul says in, uh, in another place, he talks about if anybody comes and gives you a gospel that's different than the gospel that's been presented to you, then let that person be accursed. He actually says, even if it's an angel from heaven who comes and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. To Paul, the central teaching of Jesus Christ was so important that nothing else should challenge that. And Paul knew he needed, he couldn't be there all the time. He planted a church and, and he would move on and go plant another church. And, and you, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see sometimes where it's like, I really want to go back. I really want to share with you. I really want to encourage you. Uh, but I'm not able at this point or God hasn't permitted. And so he sends pastors like Titus and Timothy into these churches to kind of oversee and to appoint a leadership not out of selfishness, not out of anything other than serving Christ. And so you see that here. Who who is supposed to be an elder? Well, he gives clarifications, and we take these clarifications in our church very seriously and very literally. We read this and we say, this is God's design for the church. And I know there's others who disagree or who see this as a cultural, contextual issue, Well, we in our church, we don't agree with that. That doesn't mean we don't have fellowship with those people doesn't mean we don't love those people doesn't mean we don't think that they love Jesus but it does mean that we in this local congregation want to want to do as clearly as we can to follow what Christ has commanded and so we see this as commands. And so these, these men were given to the leadership of the church not in an arrogant way. And in fact, if they're quick-tempered, they're, not even, they're already disqualified from that. If they're a drunkard, they're disqualified. If they're going to use their position for gain, they're disqualified. And here's the unfortunate reality. As we've probably already talked about a lot of churches that many of you have been a part of and seen. Is with power comes a desire for self. And that's unfortunate, and that's why it's important that we have what we call a plurality of elders. And so currently, it's only Lee and myself on this elders team, and we have been trying hard to equip and to to encourage people to consider this role, because the more we are, the more number we have in there, the more accountable we are to one another, and the less likely we will be Well, we'll push our own agenda on the church, because we don't want to do that. We want to push what's God's agenda for the church. And we've been talking about that over the last number of weeks. We're called to go and make disciples. We're called to baptize people. We're we're called to take communion together. We're called to serve the body of Christ. And and if you're not serving the body, then the body is, is by very definition, at a handicap. It needs all of its members to serve effectively. And so we've been talking about all those things, but when we talk about leadership, it's not the sense of like, man, who's really popular? Or who's got a lot of money? Or who's got a lot of influence? Oh, we want those people. No, what Paul says is this. He must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must h- hold firm to the teaching. He needs to be, have sexual integrity, the husband of one wife. He, he needs to be someone who's passing on the faith to his children. Now, let me just clarify this. If you're an elder and not all your children love Jesus, what, what Paul's trying to say here is not that that immediately disqualifies you. Because we all know this. You cannot make anybody believe anything. Right? How many of you are parents? Right? You know this to be true. You've tried to, your best to show your kids things and to teach them things, but at the end of the day, they are going to make choices. Some of those choices you're going to be very thankful for, Some of those choices, you're going to be in deep prayer, hoping that they see the error of that way. It's not because we're arrogant and we think we know everything, because we often come face to face with the reality that we don't know what to do. And I think parenting is the greatest example. Shayla and I always talk, man, we're We're not real sure that we're doing this right. We need help and we need wisdom and and how should we do this? We need to surround ourselves with other people. This is one of the reasons I love hanging out with Jim is we go biking and Jim's got lots of wisdom to share with me and there's lots of other people in this church that I just want to surround myself with because I need help in that process. This isn't about arrogance. This is about, God, have you called me into a position where you want me to lead and, and to teach and to direct and to show and to cast vision? And if you do, help me to be a person like this. And, and so that means that we teach our children what it means to love Jesus. And then we entrust those children to a loving Savior who cares about them far more than we do. And so it's about our integrity. It's about the desire to do what is right. And there's other passages, and I'm not going to go here, but in 1 Peter, we looked at this either last week or the week before, I forget. Um, But we talked about some of those things about if you're an elder, that you shouldn't be doing this for shameful gain or your own agenda. This is meant so that you serve Christ and you serve his church. And so by very definition in biblical leadership is service, is giving up of your own desires and your own wants and doing what's best for the group doing what's best for the body of Christ. I just finished a seminary class um, taught by the president of Miller on biblical servant leadership. And if there's one person that I could choose to take that class from, it would be him. Because he doesn't lord his position over anybody. He doesn't have this attitude of, of, you know, I'm a president of something. He's got the attitude of, do you need help? How can I serve you? What can I do to equip you and to build you up? That's what biblical leadership and service in the church looks like. This is to what we are called. And then beyond this, we have the principle of this that follows through. So we don't just have elders. We have, we have a kind of an administrative board, we could call it. We call it the general board, but that term is probably too general to be specific. Well, what that is is we have various ministries in our church, things like like, like our missionaries and our, our mission ideas, so soul food following under that. We have women's ministries, as, as Ernie said, we have men's ministries, we have young adult ministries, and so we have people in place who have been voted into, and I'll talk about this in a moment with this membership piece, but we have people who have been voted into these positions to oversee those things under the authority of the elders, not because the elders are going to always have the right idea, but because we're then holding each other accountable to a group. These people then sit on the board, and once a month, we come together, and we share what is happening, and, and some direction, and some ideas of how we can be very intentional in growing one another to become more like Jesus. So why do we do that? Well, we think this is biblical principle. We think that as the church grows, that it takes more intentionality for these groups to remain knitted together. I think we each know this, as life gets busy, as life gets more complicated, it can be very easy to lose focus and to lose sight and to drift. And Jim, you mentioned that in your testimony. Because it can be very easy to, I love. I love church, I need it, and a significant shift happens, maybe we move or maybe a death in the family and all of a sudden we've forgotten that. And so we need people who are intentionally leading those ministries to come alongside us and and to help us and to say, you know, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Like, what's going on in your life? Are things okay? Do you need help? Do you need prayer? There's no judgment. There's no... no It's not like we're trying to get just more butts in the seats here so that we can have more people. That's not the goal one bit. The goal is that every person that does have a butt in the seat here loves Jesus and knows who Jesus is and wants to serve Jesus. And so we have many wonderful people on our board that have said, you know what? I'm going to take some leadership position because the congregation has has voted me into this position. I'm going to take this seriously so that our church and our, specifically, whatever that one ministry is, so that those individuals will grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus. Let me just tell you this real quick. That is a hard position. Everybody who serves on the board sacrifices a lot of their time, a lot of their own hobbies, a lot of their own interests because they're trying to serve and care for other people. That doesn't mean that we do it right all the time, but that does mean that when we have a group of us around, we are held accountable to that. So that when I do something that's wrong or say something wrong, I have a group of people that I've invited in to hold me accountable and to say, Greg, you can't do that. You can't teach that. You can't say that that goes against what Scripture says. That's why it's so necessary. This is why we talked about membership a little while ago because it's not about joining a club. It's about committing to one another. So we have something we call a membership covenant where we promise just like, a, like we, we're making a vow essentially that I want to be part of this group and I want this group to be part of me so that as we learn about Jesus, that we grow in our faith and we become more like Jesus and so that I have people that can hold me accountable. Accountability is something that's vital, but is so easily overlooked. The reason we think church leadership is so important is because I've seen over the many years here as a pastor, I've seen that church structures that don't have this in place, that don't hold their leaders accountable, it usually ends in a very bad place. And you've probably seen some of these churches, especially in the United States in in the last couple of years here, that have had massive moral failure from the leaders inside and and nobody held them accountable. And so all of a sudden that church crumbled from within and and people were disillusioned with the leaders in those churches because they weren't what we read in Titus or in Timothy or 1 Peter. They were people who were looking for power. They were looking for gain. They were looking for prestige, a a place of prominence. So this is why we always go back to Scripture. This is why at the beginning of all of our uh, board meetings and at the end of our board meetings, we pray and we ask that God would give us wisdom because frankly, we don't have enough of it and we need it. We ask you As a congregation to pray for us that God would show us what is right and true and what is good. And and we look at Scripture together. And I'm so excited for in about 12 days when our whole leadership team gathers together for two and a half full days. And we're just going to go through Scripture. We're going to go through vision. We're going to go through direction. We're going to evaluate things. And all of it's going to be under this. Is what we're doing serving the kingdom and bringing honor to Jesus Christ? If it's not, then we're going to throw it away, or we're going to rehash it and figure out how to do it more effectively. And so we ask for your prayer and your wisdom in that. Now this is where the membership piece comes in again, I think is so important. is this isn't just me sitting in my office going, "Man, who do I really like? Who's like me? Who thinks like me? I'm just going to appoint them to positions of leadership, and then we'll all be just like me and then we'll accomplish all the things that I think are important. That's not how it works. Just to clarify, we bring all these names to the congregation, and if you're a member of the church, that means you have a voting right to say, yes, we affirm this, or hang on, there's some concerns that we have here, or there's some other people that that maybe haven't been in positions, and we would like to consider that, and that's why it's so important that we gather together in unity around this. So that it's not one person just calling the shots, making the decisions, appointing people, and, and direction goes in a very specific way. It's so that we have the plurality of a group of very spiritual men and women who help us, who think differently than we do. This, is, this has been a true privilege for me sitting on church boards, is seeing that people think differently than I do. And that's so necessary. I get real focused on certain areas sometimes at the expense of other areas, and I don't see those. And then all of a sudden, I have someone like Ernie who thinks differently than me, or another member on the, on, on the board that will say, Greg, what about this? You haven't thought about this aspect or the details to this, and we go, okay, we need to slow down. We've got to think about these things, and we've got to pray about these things. And so, in fact, in September 11th, we have a congregational meeting coming up, again, where, where we do need people to step into some of these positions. But even more than that, it's also a once-a-year opportunity where those leaders of those various positions come and present to you a report. is Here's what's happened in the last year. Here's the way in which we're trying to progress the kingdom, how we're trying to share Jesus with the world. Here's how we're trying to, what we're trying to study and how we're trying to accomplish it. It's ways where we're trying to be as transparent as we can be because we don't want to hide anything. And so we encourage people, if you're part of Banff Park Church and you're not a member, we really encourage you to consider. It's it's not about becoming part of a club. It's about joining a group of people, a family that want to honor Christ and to make him known in the community, and we need each other to do that. And so I'd encourage you to consider that. Let me also encourage you this way, is if you are a, if you're a, a member of the church here and you get asked, hey, would you consider letting your name stand for this position? Really consider it. Pray about it. Recognize that this means that this process has come through, uh, a, a, it's not a good way to say it, but kind of like a vetting process where we've looked at it and we said, yes, we, we think you would do great at this. We want to equip you to do this and to do it well. And so pray about it and think about it and ask, is God calling you to this position of leadership? This is why, again, just like with every other topic we've talked about, this is why we do what we do. Because we think the Bible teaches that this is how to do it. So that's what we want to do. I really want to encourage you to consider as we've talked about these last, this is almost two, just over two months now, of these various ideas of churches, I want you to consider this as, how committed are you to following Jesus the way that Jesus has called us to follow him? And that's not said with any judgment or finger pointing, that's said simply because we want to be a church that takes the scripture seriously. And so I had a conversation just this, this, well, a couple of weeks ago, and then it kind of continued on about this idea of like, well, I'm committed to Christ for sure, but I don't want to become legalistic about my relationship with Jesus or, or with my church attendance or whatever it might be. And so let me just clarify this in case you've wondered this too. Is we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about that you have to be here every Sunday, and if you're not, we take a little tick by your name, and once you've hit three ticks, then we phone you, and at four ticks, we come to your house. Like, that's not the point. Right. The point is, we believe that if you've come through this, these doors of this church, that we are called to partner with you in your relationship with Jesus. That's the calling we take seriously. And so it's not about legalism, it's about what do we get to be a part of and how important do we think it is. So let me just use this analogy again. Think of marriage for those of you who are married. When you made a vow, you literally made promises, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna love and I'm gonna care for and I'm gonna nurture and I'm gonna help. And then usually we end with what? Till death do us part or something like that. In other words, for my lifetime, for your lifetime. Well, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we're making those same covenants saying, You, Jesus, are priority, number one. So it's not about legalism. It's not, I have to go to church. I have to be part of all these things the question is this, is if you'd rather be somewhere else on Sunday morning or if you'd rather not attend Bible study because you have hobbies and activities that you'd like to do and you just think, it's okay, Jesus knows that I'm not being legalistic about this. Like, imagine saying that to your spouse. You've been married 10 years and you go, like, I know I made vows and commitments to you, but I don't want to be legalistic about those vows. So I want to, like, see some other people and I want to, like, date a few other people just to see what it's like. Like, I'm not actually going to do anything, right? Like, we would never say that. That's adultery. Well, let me just say this real clearly. I think the same is true of our spiritual relationship with Christ. Is where we say, Jesus, you are most important to me, but I got a lot of stuff I got to accomplish this week. I got things I want to do. I got people I want to go see. I got hobbies I want to do. And so I'm going to put you second or third or fourth, but just for this week, and then you'll be back to first next week. That's not a commitment to Christ. Now, again, that doesn't mean you won't be away some weeks. That doesn't mean that you will, won't will be missing Bible studies, right? Shayla's parents are here visiting. They're not at their church. It wasn't like we went, guys, you really shouldn't come this weekend. You've got to be at your church, right? We, that, that's not the point. We're happy that those of you who are visiting are here because we hope that you're here in the gospel. We hope that you're hearing about Jesus and messages of truth that matter to us. And so, yes, take holidays. Yes, do have hobbies and activities and things that you do, but don't let any of those things undermine your commitment to Christ. Jesus is most important. Let me say it real simple. Is we in a culture right now that is actively vying for your focus and your affections? And if we're not aware of that, we can get pulled into those things real easily. I think maybe here more than anywhere else, It can be real easy to get sucked down into, and I really like to go mountain biking. And so I'm just going to do that all the time. Well, it's not raining today, so I'm going to go. I know church is on today, but it's the one day this week it hasn't rained, and so I want to go mountain biking. Again, I love mountain biking. I'm not trying to, like, say that's bad. I'm trying to say, how do we process all that in view of, I follow Jesus first? How do we do that? Well, this is what we as a leadership want to communicate to you is that we're trying to serve Christ and to serve you, and we believe that that trickles down to all of us, that we are called to take our relationship with Jesus as seriously or more seriously than you took your marriage vows, that you would be committed to Christ in all things. It doesn't mean you can't be away. That doesn't mean you can't have activities, and sometimes they happen on a Sunday but it does mean that we realize, Jesus, what, are, what is most important? And what distracts me from you? What things are taking my focus off of you and I'm thinking more about those than I am about you? At the end of the day, I, I think by the end of the series, we've come to this conclusion, and I hope you have too, is that your spiritual journey, your spiritual life is not only about your personal relationship with Jesus, though it is about that, but that it's about our relationship together with Christ. We said this right at the beginning. I need you, you need me, and we need us. That's what church is all about. A corporate group of people gathering together that we might serve and honor Christ and share the gospel with the community. And I hope that that's what we're going to do in these coming weeks. I hope this series has been encouraging and, and challenging. Uh, I've come away from it more convinced than ever that church is not only necessary, but it's vital for our spiritual growth. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the early church and all the things that we've been talking about over these last few months. God, would you help us to surrender our lives and our hearts under your authority first? that we would ask actively whether we're following you or whether we just think we're following you, but we're allowing culture to dictate that. God, may we be committed to honoring you first and how we live. God, thank you for bringing so many visitors here over these last number of weeks. I pray that they have been encouraged and as they go home to their local congregations, to their churches, that they would be so excited about serving and caring for one another and praying for one another and loving each other effectively. God, as I said already, we know that this culture is actively trying to distract us from you. May we have eyes to see that. May we not allow our hobbies and our activities and those other things, may may they not become more important than worshiping Jesus. And I mean that individually and corporately as well. God, may we take seriously what it means to be part of a church. I'm so thankful for each one here. So thankful for the leadership that exists here and their desire, not for selfish gain, but their desire to serve and to build others up in Christ. God, would you give each one of us a desire to run after you? And we pray that as we look forward in these coming weeks for our board retreat, that you would give wisdom and discernment to each one. That we might not get distracted by the things of the world, but that we might run after you. Give us wisdom with how we do that. Give us the maturity that we need. Help us to surround ourselves with people that will hold us accountable. I'm so thankful that we get to be part of a church. May we never take that for granted. Go with us today now. Amen. Again, just a reminder, we have snacks and and goodies for you uh, at the back there.